Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. A retired teacher, school principal and pastor, Lynn Barrett was diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder in 1992 while climbing up the career ladder. After considerable therapeutic work, she now lives a happily integrated life in the Adirondacks sharing her memoir, Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory, and helping others to heal through writing workshops. There's so much to learn from others in their healing, and by sharing a safe space for our story, we live in hope to help others do the same. Welcome, Lynn, to The Ethical Evolution. Thank you. I'm so happy uh, that you've invited me to be a part of your podcast, Bindi. Now, um, you are joining us from the other side of the world in between New York and Canada, which um, must be absolutely beautiful at this time of year. Now, um, Lynn, for people who don't know you and haven't heard of you previously, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Lynn Barrett. Um, and I'm the author of a memoir that's called Crazy, Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Uh, it's the story of my discovery of and recovery from dissociative identity disorder, or DID, uh, which used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Now, um, currently, I'm leading um, bi-weekly free online work, uh, writer's workshops for people with dissociative disorders. And I, I write a weekly blog and a newsletter and I host two websites. Um, but I um, am also a retired uh, teacher, school principal and pastor. Um, I helped to found a Quaker school and I became the first full-time head of that school. And, uh, and then I went into public school teaching and 
uh, taught several grades and uh, became the principal of a 550 student urban elementary school. So, so that's my background. Right now I'm retired. And so that has given me more space to be able to write my memoir, publish it, and do uh, the writer's workshops and the blog and so on and so forth. Mm, and that's, I think that's what I love the most about you, Lynn, is that you've taken your career and your experience and you're, you're, you're harnessing that to help others to heal and to, to learn. Um, and, and it seems that your lifelong mission is to be an educator, regardless of whether you're officially in a role or not. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing um, to share that. So, um, and thank you for joining us today. Now, um, Dissociative identity disorder, previously known as multiple personality disorder. I mean, let's let's just cut it down to basics. What exactly is it? <laughs> Thank you for asking me that question. <laughs> um, yeah, let, let's talk about the word dissociation first. Yeah, yeah. Everybody dissociates. It's a normal um, bodily response or reaction. And in many cases, it's just very benign. So if you if you're bored, uh, and sitting in a lecture hall, listening to this professor drone on, and you're looking out the window at all the wonderful things that are going on out there in nature. And your mind kind of leaves the place and goes somewhere else. It leaves your body and it leaves the, the lecture behind and you're somewhere else. That's, that's dissociation at its most simple sense. Um, if you are uh, doing repetitive activities, Sometimes our minds go other mm. places. Uh, and that's also a very simple sense of dissociation. Um, but um, uh, what I want to talk about is dissociation as a protective mechanism. Mm. So if we are uh, threatened or in danger uh, or experiencing uh, hurt or harm, we often dissociate just to protect ourselves uh, from that. So uh, veterans who come back from war experience dissociation. Mm. Rape victims experience dissociation. Again, this is a natural and normal bodily response to um, very difficult circumstances. And with children, when children before the age of say eight years old or six years old or somewhere in that range, if they experience chronic trauma or abuse, um, not only will they dissociate, but that dissociation can uh, sort of form itself around some of their emotions or some of their memories and, uh, and, and actually become what we call an altar or a part or an insider. Uh, different people use different names for this. But a, a small child's brain is not fully formed yet. And so um, this is part of the formation. If you are in a very safe uh, environment and you don't experience um, uh, uh, harm or danger, or at least you don't do that on a regular basis, you're not likely to dissociate or develop dissociative identity disorder. Mm. But um, if you are being abused or traumatized on a regular basis, that is also the body's normal and natural response to help protect the child. Um, so the child can then go back out into the environment. And I would invite you to just think that through a little bit because um, a child is, um, uh, is dependent 
on their caregivers, on their parents, on the people they live with, the people that they presume love them. And so they need to go back to them for that protection. They can't manage on their own. So it's functional for them to not be aware that these very same people that they rely on are also hurting them. Mm. So a part of the child's mind um, holds the trauma, the memory, the emotion, while the rest of the child can go back out there and not know about it at all. Mm. And so that's like really, that that's um, a, a very uh, functional uh, way of coping with uh, trauma in the moment as a child, but as the child grows up into an adult, it becomes dysfunctional because the adult is no longer in danger the adult may not remember any of those things that happen because they're sort of cordoned off into these other parts of their brain. And so um, eventually, usually sometime in adulthood, some of those memories start seeping out or some of those emotions start seeping out and it becomes um, very problematic uh, for the adult. Um, and I can talk about that a little more in a bit if you want me to. Um, but I did want to sort of explain to you mm. or answer your question, what is um, dissociative identity disorder? Has that answered your question or do I absolutely. need to go into that? No, more? no. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess when we look at um, why it actually happens, I mean, it's that, well, one, it's generally triggered by trauma and two, it's a protective mechanism. Um, yes. But it's when that protective mechanism stays in place when you're no longer um, experiencing the trauma. Yes, yes, and 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 as an as an adult, you no longer need that mm. um, uh, that that mechanism, that coping strategy. But it's still there, and it's in place, and it creates some very very difficult um, uh, experiences for the adult who's living with that at the time. Um, most people think dissociative identity disorder is really rare. Mm. Uh, it is not. Uh, research has shown that between one and five percent of the population worldwide experience it. Again, it's a, it is the body's natural response to chronic yeah. Uh, trauma. Yes, that puts the, the prevalence of DID. Uh, right next to um, bipolar disorder and yeah. schizophrenia. So it's not a rare disorder, but we do call it the hidden disorder because the whole purpose of this coping strategy is to hide abuse from the child mm. or the person who's experiencing it and from the rest of the world. So um, I'm 74 years old. <laughs> no way. I, yeah, I am. and uh, And I'm just coming out now. I'm just coming out now. Um, I, um, uh, I graduated from seminary, and so we've been put some articles in the seminary uh, newsletter uh, with my picture and about my book. And right after that happened, I got an email from someone I didn't know who graduated from seminary after me who said, I just read your article, the article about you, and I almost jumped out of my chair. I was diagnosed 20 <gasps> years ago, and I have never told anybody for fear. Oh. So we have we we hold this tremendous fear about not sharing it, and part of it is legitimate that the world doesn't understand it and 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 can re react negatively, particularly our employers. Um, but part of it has been programmed into us mm. uh, that you just can't do that. You can't, you know, we we are not allowed to tell the world. So um, 
I I just share that story because that was sort of mind blowing for me too. Yeah. She came down and told me that that um, uh, so 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 a part of what I'm doing here in writing the memoir and in speaking with you, Bindi, and and your audience, um, and in any other opportunities I have to speak about this is to help to educate people about it so there is not so much stigma so that people understand what it's about and don't have to be afraid of it and maybe gradually eventually those who have been diagnosed with this disorder will be able to come out of the closet too. Yeah and you know I always say a a problem shared is a problem halved Um, you know, it's, and just by you, um, making that safe space, um, for people, um, to not only hear your story, but to share theirs, that, that in itself is so healing when they can get that weight off their shoulders, but also, um, you know, there's this stigma around any kind of mental health disorder of any kind that we really need to squash because more of us are suffering than ever, um, and more of us are hiding than ever, and conversations like this need to happen more often. Absolutely, and I'm so grateful uh, that you feel that way and that you've invited me into this conversation. Now, let's let's talk about um, when you found out you had the disorder. Yes. So, okay. I mean, how did you feel, one, how did it impact you? Um, I mean, did did it really upset you? And, and what was happening in your life that made you – believe that you know something was going on look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey (sighs) well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to Download the new Bumble now. Well, that's a big um, uh, question and and uh, important answers there. Um, what I want to explain is that I had DID or dissociative identity disorder all my life or since I was at least about two or three years old. And I still have it, even though I am now integrated, mm. um, because your brain is still, you know, structured yeah. in that way. Um, but... Um, but dur- during um, my um, uh, adolescence uh, and young adulthood, I uh, functioned well, and I didn't know that I had it. I, you know, he, the fish doesn't know um, what water is because that's yeah. all they know, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that was me. I, it was just that was all that I knew. Um, and I, I think I know that I felt like a very defective person as a child and as a, um, a young, as an adolescent. But, um, you know, you, you just live with that and you get through it. And I, I uh, got married. I had four uh, children whom I just loved uh, deeply. And um, giving birth to them and becoming their mother sort of brought forth um, something in me that I never even knew I had. Um, and so I was totally, completely happy and satisfied as a, um, stay at home mother with a college degree, you know, I mean, but I was fine. I taught nursery school. I did great things like that. Gradually, um, I want to say, um, that in my mid to late thirties, 
some of that started to peel away and I didn't know what it was or what it meant, but I was getting triggered by things that would bring on really powerful emotions. And I had no idea where this was coming from or what this was about. Um, I gradually um, uh, would have to say that I, I got to a place where I felt like I wasn't me. Mm. It just felt like I wasn't me. Um, and everything around me felt unreal. My children felt unreal. My my um, home, uh, the people I was around, uh, all my circumstances felt unreal. My emotions and uh, my thinking didn't match. I had body pain everywhere, uh, just everywhere. And sometimes I would just have to roll up into this fetal um, position and and just sort of um, stare out into space, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, and I, I became suicidal. I had suicidal ideation and I actually attempted suicide once. Um, but I, I want to sort of backtrack a little bit from all of that because this this gradually developed from my mid to late 30s um, up into um, my to, to mid my mid 40s. So I want to say for 10 years I was doing what they call decompensating. Mm. At the time I certainly didn't know what that word was, but that's that's what I was doing because I had no idea what was going on. In the middle of that I discovered my husband was having an affair. Um and and then he became very um aggressive in how he um dealt with me and so that created a, a, another a, a sense of um of uh danger for me so it accelerated what was already happening mm. um and so during that 10 years i i really define that time as my crazy time and i want to explain that um uh and qualify it because some people um are are you know are understandably concerned that i would use the word crazy yeah um but it is the only word that I can think of to describe how I felt. And many people with DID say that's exactly how they felt too. Yeah. Because I didn't know what was happening and I felt like I was losing my grip on reality, even though my mind was fu functioning very, very well. But it wasn't functioning in the same way that my emotions were functioning. And I didn't feel like I was me. So for that 10 years, I was decompensating. And during that time, I attempted suicide once. And I, um, uh, uh, two years after I attempted suicide, I checked into a, um, a psych ward for 30 days. Um, then I came out and uh, a year later, I was diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. So that 10 years was a, it was a period of time that I was um, totally, um, I, I was terrified. I was mm. just terrified. And I was in pain all the time. And I didn't know what was going on. I was a smart woman. But I couldn't figure this out. And I should also note that on the other side of that coin is that at the same time that I was decompensating, I helped to start a Quaker school. Mm. I was the first teacher. Uh, I helped to hire new teachers. And then I became the first full time head of that school. Uh, so all this time I'm functioning here and I'm totally not functioning here, mm. which was another sign that what, what's, you know, what's going on here, but I still didn't know. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, then I, I went through a divorce and I'm raising my children and, and, and working through uh, multiple issues uh, with them and with my ex-husband and so on and so forth. And then I, I moved to um, the public school because I knew I needed to have a better salary. And, um, uh, and, and then I was diagnosed. Um, and the craziness didn't go away and the pain didn't go away, but at least I had something to hang my hat on. Mm. At least I knew this was something. So, you know, you asked how did it affect me? Was I horrified when I found out? In a sense, I almost was relieved yeah. because here was an explanation for what was happening to me. Um, and uh, I still had another 10 years to go uh, to, to do all the healing that needed to be done. And as, as I'm sure you know, and, and your, your listeners know, and we all know that we never stop healing. Exactly. Until the day exactly. Die, right. Yeah. So I, I'm certainly still healing, but I, I did, uh, after 10 years, I, I, I was able to integrate uh, my altars. I've been integrated for 20 years and I lead a very happy and fulfilled life now. Um, and um, I, so I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for that, but I've left out, <laughs> I've left out all the details, of course, of, of how I got there. And I can certainly talk to you about that a little bit more if you'd like to know. Well, Lynn, can I just say that uh, we're truly grateful and blessed that uh, you are here with us today and that you've uh, been able to to reach a level of healing where you can integrate and live a happy life and, and for it to not impact you in that same way. So um, God bless that. <laughs> God bless that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now your memoir, uh, Crazy Reclaiming Life from the Shadow of Traumatic Memory. Yes. No doubt your whole story's in there. Yes. Yeah, the whole story is in there. Maybe maybe I've left a few things out because I wanted it to uh, be a very readable book uh, that people would want to read. Um, and, uh, you know, so um, my editor says that, Lynn, you have to learn how to kill your darlings. And <laughs> what that means is you may have written a really fantastic chapter or paragraph or page um, but it just doesn't fit in the book and you need to pull it out and maybe you can publish it somewhere else mm. uh, in some other setting. But it is pretty much the whole story, yes, um, that, that you get in, 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 in my uh, memoir. And I, I, I'd say that, that, that um, if you don't mind my jumping in here, mm. the, um, the, the treatment, once I learned that I had DID, uh, people always wonder, well, how do you treat that, mm, you know? Mm. And um, while there are some unique um, uh, strategies that are sometimes used, and certainly um, cer certainly people um, sometimes need medication for other auxiliary symptoms mm. like depression or anxiety, but there is no medication to treat DID. Mm. And the primary means of treatment is simply therapy, mm. uh, talk therapy with a therapist who, number one, believes you, number one, um, affirms that you have DID even when you don't believe it, because that's actually one of the markers of DID is most people who have it 
will always say, well, I probably don't really, or I must be making this up. I mean, that's part of the hidden disorder is mm. we don't believe ourselves. So to have a therapist who believes you, to have a therapist who is not only willing to work with your alters, but really welcomes them. So every time a new alter would come up into the therapy room, and some of them were really angry or not pleasant people, my therapist always said, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> you're safe now. Mm. I hope you'll come back. You know, so, so that I can't tell you how important that was for me um, to, to have her say that to me uh, as a whole and to each of my individual alters as they came forward. So they began to feel safe and to know that they belonged because as they start to come forward and they start to talk to me and they start to talk to the therapist and they start to talk to each other, then the amnesic walls that they build up as um, uh, small children start to come down. And then we all get to know each other <laughs> and we're no longer walled off in, into separate um, uh, conscious states. We, we then become um, one, even if we still remain as individual parts, we everybody knows what everybody else is doing and saying and what they experienced, um, and they begin to collaborate and work together. In many cases, as was true in mine, the, the ultimate um, uh, end point is integrating, uh, but that's not true for everyone, and there are some folks who really um, would prefer to stay uh, in parts, uh, we call that functional multiplicity when all of the uh, other symptoms of abuse have been addressed and are, if not fully healed, at least, you know, on their way to becoming fully healed. For instance, some of those other issues that we have to deal with are relationships. Mm. Um, you know, some of us have attachment disorders. Some of us are I just don't trust. Um, we have to learn how to work through relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, uh, we have to manage, learn how to manage triggers because sometimes you could raise your eyebrow the wrong way. And if that reminded me mm. of someone who hurt me yeah. in the back, I, I, I could have a real emotional response to that. I wouldn't necessarily connect your raised eyebrow with that person. I might not have any clue about that at all, but somehow I would just think, oh, well, she must be a terrible person for whatever reason because she <laughs> yeah. raised her eyebrow. And, and so you have to work through all those pieces. Uh, and once you've done that, then you can live as one person or you can live with multiple parts um, that are functional um, and have a, um, a fully functioning life. Yeah, that, and that's incredible. And you know, I um, I also do another show um, with a clinical psychologist um, in in LA, and um, I talk to a lot of psychologists, and and we talk a lot about mental health. And you know, having a therapist you can trust in um, is so so vitally important. But you know, when we talk about trauma. Um, and I've been doing a lot of deep diving on, on trauma recently and, and, um, learning as much as I can about that. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious if you don't mind me asking, Lynn, I mean, uh, there's, there's childhood trauma, um, that pretty much clings to our genes that we're not even aware of, um, that comes from ancestors and, and things like that. Um, 
from your childhood or even pre-childhood, what kind of things were you bringing up? Um, Okay, yes. That is a hard question for me to answer, but I'm happy to address it Mm. to the extent that I can. Um, And just to note, um, transgenerational trauma, you didn't use that word, but that's really what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. When you say clings to your genes, that's a wonderfully uh, vivid um, uh, description, I Mm. think, of, of what happens in some way or another. And in my case, um, I had uh, wisps and snatches and fragments of memory Mm. um, regarding um, uh, sexual transgressions and requirements to do um, uh, some, uh, I'm trying to think of the the best way to word this, uh, some some um, uh, harmful things to other people mm-hmm. um, that I was required to do for a group of people, um, and um, uh, you know a, a variety of other um, wisps and snatches like that. Mm. Um, I did not get what we what I call uh, clear cognitive memories yeah um which is what i really was hoping for and searching for because otherwise i wouldn't believe myself Mm. but what i found um through traumatic uh, memory research is that all the trauma memories that we have go through the back brain not the front brain the front brain is Mm. where cognitive memories live it goes to the back brain, and what happens is, it, it, when you are in um, uh, in danger, uh, a, a stimulus from the outside comes in. It goes directly to the back brain; doesn't go to the front brain. Your back brain decides: uh, is, Am I safe or am I, I not? If, if it says I'm safe, then it goes to the front brain. If it go, if if it says I'm not safe, it just immediately sends it back out into the body um, it, for a fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, and that is why so much of our uh, traumatic memory is held in the body because um, because it's the body that holds that. So mm. I don't know if you've heard of Bessel van der Kolk, who is sort of the, the um, uh, psychiatric guru uh, around um, trauma research. Uh, he wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And if you're not familiar with it, that's something you might want to look up. Um, and, and so he will explain that, that you're, you're, um, while you're, once your memories move into the front brain, they're very fluid and frankly unreliable for any of us because we are all changing memories all the time. Mm. But the memories that are held in your body are actually um, uh, uh much more reliable than your 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 cognitive memories because the body never lies the body keeps the score so uh, i have these uh wisps and snatches of memories of sexual abuse and of uh really what i would call ritual abuse um and um i I don't know uh for sure if what i'm remembering is exactly true or exact but what i do know 
is that something really awful happened back then. And, and so, and that's how my small child's brain was able to coalesce around that um, uh, incident uh, to create these little wisps and snatches. So I don't know if I'm getting uh, really more complicated right now in explaining no. that or if that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, and it's something that I've spoken about previously as well, you know, like um, psychologists talk about the the big T trauma and the little T trauma, you know, and people try to think that, um, oh, you know, my trauma is not that bad or, you know, it's not, it's not earthquakes yeah. and floods and that kind of thing. It's not, not a big deal. But there's stuff that happened to us when we were kids that come up now in our 40s, 50s or even our 70s where we go, oh, my God, I didn't realise that had such an impact on me then. But when we look at it now, it's like, wow, because I'm getting some of that stuff now, stuff that happened to me when I was, I don't know, 15, and I'm like, oh, God, I didn't realise that that was such a big thing. But that then manifests in so many different ways in in how you behave in relationships, how you yes. feel about yourself, um, how you just get on in life. And you know, there's so much of this that most of us just unconsciously are not aware of and we switch it off, like you say, and we dissociate and and just don't connect with it or try to heal with it and move past it to actually function better. Yes, and I, I think that's so true, everything that you're saying. And um, none of us want to go backwards. No. <laughs> we all want to go forwards. And certainly if backwards is painful, who wants to do that? Um, on the other hand, um, my experience is, and well, I, let me just say one more thing about that. So I actually um, uh, support, honor, and applaud people who are able to move forward without doing all that work and lead a good life. Because I know, I, 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 would that I could have done that? Certainly, I would have. Um, so for some of us, we are able to do that, but, um, for some of us, that is not possible. And, um, my experience is that we do have to go through pain in order to get, um, to the place of healing. We have to go through the darkness in order to get to the light. Um, and so I, um, I guess how I see myself uh, is as a beacon of light for people who are in the midst of that darkness, because brother, I know what that's like. I, I know what it's like to want to die every day because mm. just making it through the next five minutes takes more of my psychic, physical, and emotional energy than I have to give. And, uh, you know, but, but, but what I'm, what I want to show people is that, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it because there, there, there is a, there is a place um, that you come to where you can come to peace with that. And, and that looks different for each one of us. It's not going to be the same for everyone, but um, yeah, it, it's, uh, we all manage our life wounds in different ways where I think that we uh, do ourselves and the people we love or who are in our lives a disservice is when we don't do the work and we move forward, but we let it out sideways. Yeah. Uh, you know, it comes out in weird ways that makes life really uh, difficult for the people in our lives and for us, um, you know. So 
um, e each of us, so, so each of us um, finds uh, the path forward. And for some of us, we can move forward and we're fine and it doesn't affect other people. For some of us, we move forward, but that's not a good idea because we still have work we have to do both mm -hmm. for ourselves and for others. And for some of us, we can't even begin to move forward until we um, uh, really come to grips with all of this. Um, and honestly, I'll get really philosophical here, but <laughs> you know, if the whole world um, would would be willing to enter into a um, a healing process, that's how we could end, you know, the discord, um, the violence, the wars. Obviously, what I'm saying is, you know, not not possible. But I honestly do believe that this is where it all comes from. It it it, it comes from from first from interpersonal wounds that then create family wounds, and then they could create community wounds, and then they create national wounds and tribal wounds. And um, you know, it it uh, and that's why you know we we live in a world that is is very broken. Yeah, and no doubt if you've listened to the podcast, then you would have heard me say, you know, like, um, and and this is the whole mission of this show is that, you know, um, we're we're all about creating collective change, and what I do today impacts your tomorrow. So, and we've had, you know, particularly over the last two years, we've had this collective consciousness, regardless of where we are in the world, we we can pick up on that global consciousness of what's going on. So, you know, it all again starts with us. And if it we can if we can make the change, then that healing spreads. And I just had this exact same conversation yesterday. Um so there's so many themes coming up in this show that, you know, like this is this is a path forward that we need to take. And, you know, by by you doing the healing, um, you you're opening the door for others to do the same. Yes, I hope so. And and I think that um in the um the, the writers' workshops that I've been leading for the last year, um, I, I'm hoping I hope um, that I, I'm um, spreading uh, this a little bit further as well. I started the writers' workshops quite honestly in order to get more people to know me, mm. so that when I would um, uh, publish the book, that maybe more people would buy it. Um, but what I discovered is the power in these workshops, uh, women and men um, who uh, use writing to um, help them heal um, and also to express their stories and become better writers and to actually start to trust each other and themselves. And both of that is huge. It's so I, I do have people who have signed up who do not want to be left off the list, but they haven't yet gotten the courage to come. And I say, that's fine. You take as long as you need, mm. because it's scary to come into a group of people, especially if they're going to be talking about things like this mm. um, and reading their writing that is expressing that. Um, but take your time. You know, nobody has to be forced into this. Um but um, so many of these, these women um, and men have been so uh, powerfully affected uh, by um, not only the writing that other people have written, but also the response that they receive from their writing. And so it's created a wonderful bond of people who are 
way across different political spectrums, you know, mm. but we have something in common. Mm. And so this brings us together and it makes us um, care for one another and love each other. So, so that is, uh, yeah, that's certainly um, uh, another little piece of this for me, which has turned out to be a very big piece. And um, I've even said that even if, even if the, the, my memoir bombs, um, I know that uh, there's huge things happening here um, in, in these writers' workshops. And also, I will say, I think I did mention it, that I, I write a, a blog every week. Um, and um, I've gotten, you know, I never know how many people read it. But now, every now and then I get an email from someone I've never heard of. And who said, who just says that, that just hit the spot for me that, that it, I was so glad that you said that. And I'm so glad you do this. And so it affirms me that, um, that I'm on the right track here. Um, and I, and I am, one thing we haven't talked about is, you know, my own spiritual journey. Mm. Um, so it, it feels to me like this is God led um, and uh, that this is uh, a ministry uh, even in my retirement. And just to make the comment that I, I was born and raised an atheist. So it's been a long journey. Mm. And, and that's been um, really, a, really a wonderful part of the journey uh, that my um, uh, spirituality has um, really grown as I have gotten in touch with my past and as um, I have healed. Yeah, and I was I was actually just about to say you must have read my mind, Lynn. Was, um, you know, uh, this is definitely divinely guided. Um, you know, no doubt, and I think it's beautiful the unity that you're creating through writing, um, and it it also makes me wonder. Um, you know, uh, one one practice that I do is is journaling um, daily, um, and I found that very therapeutic and healing. Not only just to write it, but then to go back and read it. Yes. Um, is like, oh gosh, look at look at the growth there. <laughs> Absolutely, is that something yes. that you encourage you as well in these in these writing workshops? Absolutely, to go back and reread it, mm. um, that uh, you you will see growth, um, but you also will sometimes um, find a little gem in the middle of your writing. Uh, you know, when you're just journaling, first of all, with journaling, I encourage people to just get it out there, to yeah. not edit it, to let whatever's inside come out on the paper. Um, you don't have to read it to anybody, mm. but really you're dialoguing with yourself mm. and with your own heart. Um, so just get it out there. Um, and when you go, so, so a lot of uh, journaling isn't um, refined writing at all, um, but now and then you can find a piece that's like, oh my gosh, mm. I, what a, what a, what a piece of wisdom mm. or, oh, that, that, that's like a poem almost, you know? And, and then, and then I encourage people to pull those out and uh, keep a file of them or put them on your refrigerator or something to remind yourself of the wisdom that's lying really deep inside of you. And sometimes the wounds we experience prevent us from accessing that wisdom. Mm. But when you journal, it, it it finds a way up and out, and and then you, you then you can really um, um, identify it, celebrate it, and remember it. That this is um, 
this isn't something that someone else told you. This is you. This mm. is uh, what your own deep inner sense of health and wisdom is telling you. Yeah, it can be such a beautiful space just to share with yourself, I think. And, you know, if you can just make five minutes a day for it, I think it's so exactly. important. Yeah. Exactly. Now, Lynn, I know you um, have a, a very wonderful way with the English language and um, I'm keen to know uh, for you what your definition of ethical means to you. <laughs> I've been thinking about that a little bit, but I didn't um, I didn't know you'd ask me that question, so I'm not sure I have the perfect answer. But um, I, 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 I do feel like this um, conversation is about ethical healing. Um, and so I would um, suggest that ethical means that uh, we adhere to our deepest sense of, uh, of rightness um, and that we, to the very best of our ability, um, um, follow the leading of that rightness. And maybe even before we get to that, I should have started with saying <clears throat> that we do, um, excuse me, <coughs> The healing work first, or the or the self awareness, or the self knowledge, that um, enables us to clear out the cobwebs uh, and really get in touch with the center of ourselves that knows that rightness. And I want to um, just uh, mention um, that I, I really was formed initially in faith by Quakers, and Quakers believe that there's that of God in every person. Mm. And so what I'm suggesting, that, 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 that when we clear out the cobwebs uh, and we, we're able to um, get to that deepest part of ourselves, um, that um, we may be coming in touch with that of God within us and, and that that will be the rightness that leads us forward um, to be ethical people, to be people who follow um, that center of ourselves that knows what is right and what is wrong. Amen. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, that was off the cuff because I, I wasn't love it. expecting the question. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lynn, if people want to find out more about you and grab your book, where can they go? Sure. Um, well, my, my um, website I have two websites. Uh, one is www.lynnbarrett.com, L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. The other is www.dissociativewriters.com, D-I-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-I-V-E, writers.com. So you can find out about me and, and what I have to offer, uh, newsletters, blogs, um, a free ebook that I have online, um, and, uh, and the book that, that I have published online. Uh, so you can, and you can find out about writers' workshops there. Um, my, books, um, my book will be published um, or is published or was published on January uh, 3rd, 2020 and is available now on um, amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Uh, um, uh, 
uh, is pre-order. It won't actually come out until January 3rd. So um, I do invite people to consider that book and, and to look for it online. And, um, you know, I, I really uh, love to hear from people. Uh, and if they want to um, email me through my website, uh, I would be happy to hear from them and I will always answer back. Amazing. And um, I'm, yes, I can't wait to get my hands on the book because it'll be a riveting read, no doubt, um, mm-hmm. with the way you tell your story. So um, last big question for you, Lynn. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? I would like for the world to become not one uh, because we are uh, all so diverse and unique, but I would like for us to be able to embrace um, our diversity, to embrace our uniqueness, and to be able to hold hands with one another in spite of our differences, uh, and to be able to tackle problems um, in the spirit of, um, of unity and love, even if our um, uh, ideas for, for tackling that are different, uh, that we uh, work together as, um, as one human race. And that would be my hope um, for the future and my hope for this podcast and my hope for the work that I'm doing too. Uh, I completely share that sentiment with you, Lynn, um, and, and yep, that completely resonates with me. Um, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the Ethical Evolution. It has been absolutely beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you to your listeners as well. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.